a visionary would be the guy or gal who's able to listen to the market and change, change their own perception, change what they believe based upon this tremendous amount of market evidence. So it's actually not sticking to the original vision that makes the visionary. Welcome to another episode of Success Through Failure. This is your host, Jim Harshaw Jr. And today I bring you Brant Cooper. Do you get motivation, clarity, or inspiration from the Success Through Failure podcast? Then don't be so selfish. Share the motivation with your friends. Go to jimharshawjr.com slash share, and there you'll find a simple page with just three buttons. One to share the podcast on Twitter, one for Facebook, and one for LinkedIn. Click any of the buttons and you'll have the option to either share the pre-written tweet or message or rewrite your own. That's it. Super simple. It'll just take a few seconds unless you're selfish and you want to keep all of this awesome inspiration to yourself. Go ahead and let your friends in on the secret. They'll thank you. And if nothing else, you'll have something cool to talk about the next time you get together. Just go to jimharshawjr.com slash share. Brent Cooper is a New York Times bestselling author of a book titled The Lean Entrepreneur, and he is the CEO of Moves the Needle. With over two decades of experience helping companies bring innovative products to market, he blends agile development, design thinking, and lean methodologies to ignite entrepreneurial action within large organizations. And you're probably saying, wait a second, what does this have to do with success through failure? What does this have to do with me? Here's the cool thing about this. This is a fascinating interview about how you can apply these lines of thinking to your life. This is all about frameworks. Frameworks are about thinking for your life. And, and whether you're a teacher, whether you're a sports coach or a parent or an entrepreneur or a leader or a CEO or an employee, this is all about thinking, different ways to make progress in your life around challenges that you're facing. And I constantly challenge Brant to relate this to how can I use this today? And he gives us some really concrete ways that you can actually put this into place in your life starting today. Any place, like he said, actually in the interview once, he says, any you can apply this line of thinking or these lines of thinking any place there's uncertainty in your life. And there's a lot of uncertainty in the world, depending on when you're listening to this, we're in the middle of the pandemic, hopefully at the end of the pandemic, but we'll see. Uh, but he also talks about something called a Kanban board. And Kanban is spelled K-A-N-B-A-N. -A -A so Kanban board, I actually put in the action plan an image of a Kanban board. So go ahead and check that out. You can download the action plan at jimharshawjr.com slash action, and you can get access to the PDF action plan from this episode. And every single episode that I've ever done, there's an action plan for quick, convenient notes on the best stuff from each episode. So without further ado, let's get to my interview with Brant Cooper. Brant, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Good to have you. So you talk about the myth of the visionary. It's easy for us to believe that visionaries like Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson and Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, like it's easy. We just assume they're born like that. This was their destiny. We glorify them and we imagine that they just see this finished product at the end of, of this business and they set a course and they achieve it. But you say that's not true. Why? Yeah, well, it's just not really the way any of that has worked. 
The story that really kind of cracks me up is, you know, what piece of bad clip art needs to go into every presentation about entrepreneurship or innovation? It's the light bulb, of course, right? And so <laughs> that the myth of the visionary is about that eureka moment, right? And it's represented by the little light bulb that appears above above the head and sort of, you know, that's sort of alluding or supposed to be alluding to, you know, Thomas Edison who invented the light bulb. Only he didn't invent the light bulb. Uh, patents for the light bulb already existed. And so what he actually did is a couple of things, which I think really speaks to sort of the ethos that I, I bring to entrepreneurship. But it's he actually ran tons of experiments to try to figure out what was the right filament to use inside of an incandescent bulb so that you could it was actually usable, so that the market would accept it. So that's number one thing he did. And then the second thing he did is he, he really sort of invented or worked to create the demand for light bulbs. And it was sort of in the building of the market that allowed his company to succeed. Um, so the very story about the Eureka moment is actually, you know, not true. And I think if you look into other entrepreneurs who are considered visionaries like Steve Jobs and, and others, you'll see that their stories are not that too. I actually think those guys are genius. We can redefine visionary and okay, I'll call them a visionary, but it wasn't because they had some, you know, prediction of the future and, you know, this idea come to them and then they had to go out and execute it. Think how long it took Steve Jobs to actually achieve success. It was actually a long journey. Yeah. And he got fired along the way from the company that he started. Right. And then what <laughs> happened to the company that he started? I mean, it was not a big success. So wait a right. second, how come he didn't see that, you know? <laughs> Yeah. So, so what is it about those folks? What is it about the Jeff Bezos and the Branson and the Gates and the Jobs, et cetera, of the world? What is it about them that, that you know, we see them as a visionary uh, and it's the end product that we're seeing or one of the end products, the ever evolving end product. But what is it about them that allows them to create these visionary companies? Yeah, well, so you partly just said it. It's the ever evolving product, right? And so it's this iterative nature, which means that somebody is admitting that whatever they did first was not perfect, maybe was not right at all, then they iterate, they change it in order to try to figure out what is right. And so that's the part that we don't see, right? It's Sisyphus pushing the boulder up the hill of trying to figure out what's the right thing that solves the needs for enough people that suddenly there is sort of a tipping point and you start growing. They all then the growth tailors off and you have to, you have to sort of reinvent what's the next big thing. But it's really this learning mindset and listening, like being able to take evidence from the marketplace. So real quickly, you know, a Steve Jobs story, what about the iPhone was revolutionary? All of the components that went into the iPhone actually existed prior. It's some in Apple products, some in other products. And even, you know, smartphones had been around for at least a decade before that. So what was it about the iPhone? Well, it was really about opening up the app store to third-party developers because that was the first thing that turned the phone into a computer platform and all of these independent people developing apps on the iPhone. That's actually what disrupted whole markets. Steve Jobs opposed opening up the app store to, to mm. uh, third-party developers. So this brilliant visionary who built this company that was based and founded upon this one thing that is, is so important. It's, it, it is their business model. It's so critical to their business model. He actually said, nah, that's a bad idea. That's right. So he had had a bad experience with a couple of other companies prior to the iPhone developing apps for it. So that was Singular and Motorola, I believe. 
And I actually used to run a team that was trying to build apps on pre-iPhone smartphones. And it was it was horrible experience. A little bit of a failure there. So he'd had a bad experience. So he argued, no, we can't open this up to third-party developers. And uh, John Ives, who was really the technical visionary around the product, wanted to open it up. Peter Doerr, other investors, you know, big names were saying, no, you have to open it up, have to open it up. So he's like, nope, I had a bad experience. We're not opening up. A year later, he opens it up. Why? Because the market demanded. Developers were actually sort of breaking into the app store in order to get their apps and try to figure it out. So this is the definition of product market fit is the market was pulling the product out of Apple. You have to do this. It was just like, you know, a dam about to burst. And so, of course, to me, a visionary would be the guy or gal who's able to listen to the market and change, change their own perception, change what they believe based upon this tremendous amount of market evidence. So it's actually not sticking to the original vision that makes the visionary. So it sounds like this iterative process, failures kind of built into that, the expectation of of small failures along the way. And, and whether this is, again, for the listener, and I said this in the introduction, but you know, we're talking about entrepreneurship, but this is, this is about life, right? So iteration, whether you're uh, a parent or you're volunteering with a nonprofit or you're a teacher or a sports coach or, or you're an entrepreneur or a leader, it's all the same sort of thought process and mindset. But anyway, Brant, so it sounds like failure is built into this iterative process. Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I, you know, it's what human beings really natively are. That's actually how we've always progressed society is really through massive amounts of failure that then lead us to whatever works. I mean, it's really the, the scientific method itself is you're running a bunch of experiments, testing different assumptions, different hypotheses, and most of the experiments fail because then you dismiss that hypothesis and you move on to the next one, right? So you actually, sort of the way the world works, I think, is that you fail hundreds, thousands, of times and succeed once, right? Because once you succeed once, now you figured it out. You're not trying or experimenting anymore. Now you're doing. It's all those failures that, that led to that breakthrough, that led to that success, that led to the saying yes to the app store. And you go, oh, wow, that was, that was a tremendous success. Right. Well, and, and look at children. I mean, it's really, again, it's what human beings do naturally. It's how you learn how to walk. It's how you learn how to talk. It's how you learn to ride a bike. You know, some of us, it takes multiple attempts finding life partners. It's just, it's sort of built into our DNA that you try something and it doesn't work the first time. And then you try again and you get closer and it's an iterative process to get to the point of, oh, I know how to walk now, or I know how to run, or I know how to ride a bike. It's really built into us. And hmm. a lot of our systems and structures that we have in place in society these days sort of kind of like beat that out of us. And I think that now in this new digital age, and, and we're all a little bit more responsible for our own economy, and we can do start our own businesses. And there's just so much, there's tremendous amounts of opportunity that we have to get back to that very nature of creativity and trying and experimenting and iterating to figure stuff out. And there are names for this type of thinking. Agile in the software world, lean in the product development world, you know, design thinking. You help entrepreneurs leverage these types of things, these lines of thinking, these methods. First, can you go through those one by one? Agile, lean, design thinking. Can you go through those three, starting with Agile? Yeah, sure. So Agile emerged 
boy, I think in the early 90s as a manifesto. And so you can Google Agile Manifesto. I think it's agilemanifesto.org. Um, basically lays out a number of principles around what these people thought would be a more effective way to develop software. It's now expanded to all areas of business, but basically the idea is that you create a, what we call a self-organized team. So if you're a leader, you form a team, you give them a problem that you want solved, and you let them go and solve it. So you're not dictating solutions. You put these smart people together, and as this agile team, they're self-organized, they're autonomous, they get to interact how they want to, form the different roles as they want to, and your job as the leader is to hold them accountable to a metric or to some desired outcome, but you're not dictating how it's done. And so these agile teams themselves sort of build in this iterative learning process, but they come up with what they think is the best way to solve that problem. So that's it sort of in a, in a nutshell. There's been a bunch of other frameworks now built on top of that. And unfortunately, some of those frameworks can add a lot of process and a lot of hierarchy that isn't in the manifesto. So I really encourage people to go look at the manifesto. Some of those different frameworks provide though, really, I think powerful ways of organizing the things that you need to get done or powerful ways to, for those teams to interact. So there are things like sprint planning. So defining what it is the team's gonna work on during the next period of time retrospective. So people are talking about, you know, what went well and what didn't go well, uh, demoing to others, the work that you're doing. So you're painting this larger context. So there's a number of practices within agile that I think are super beneficial, but the foundational part is really going at this, this agile manifesto. Let me, let me put you on the spot for, for just yeah. a second. And by the way, for the listener, I'll have a link to the Agile Manifesto in the action plan. You, as always, you can just go to jimharshojr.com slash action and get the link to that as well as all the, the notes from this episode with Brant Cooper. But Brant, for the listener who's saying, okay, I love that idea of you know putting a team together. Uh, I love the idea of letting them interact in the way that they want. But how do I, how do I put metrics to that? How, how, like, do you have any examples or analogies that you can use to help the listener wrap their head around? How might this actually work in my business, in my sport, with my sports team, yeah, maybe even in, in their family uh, or in their, some nonprofit that they're involved in, in their classroom even? Like how, in, any examples or, or, or stories you have around that? So fundamentally, you know, the way I try to teach this is everybody can, usually can figure out what the desired outcome is, right? And so if you're, if you're building a SaaS product or something, your desired outcome is millions of customers and billions of dollars. And that's a software as a service for the, for the listener. Right. Yeah. yeah, sorry. Yeah. So, so you're establishing what is your desired outcome and this, and it should be, you know, something that moves your business or your activity or, you know, organization forward, right? You're trying to improve things. So what are you trying to improve and where are you trying to get? And so then you, you look at that point and say, the way I really try to think about it is, what is the stakeholder, how does the stakeholder, whoever you're doing this for, how do they behave that indicates we've achieved that di desired outcome? So if we go back to the software as a service example, you should be able to, without ever building the product, but you know what you want to build, you can define what an active, engaged user looks like so that if they're doing this activity, this behavior, they're doing it you know, multiple times over some time period, that indicates that they're getting the value that essentially I promised to them. So like just a really simple, 
easy to understand example. If I'm YouTube and I want their original market idea was create YouTube stars, right? Video stars. So what would the behavior of somebody be who is satisfied with their YouTube experience? And it might be, well, they're uploading a video and they're sharing it with a hundred of their friends two times a week. It can start as a hypothesis, Mm -hmm. but then that gives me this mark. Okay, now I'm going to iterate on the product and the marketing or whatever I need to do in order to get people at that metric. And so I could spin up a couple of different agile teams. Okay, agile team, your job is anybody that signs up and starts using the product, your job is to increase the amount of engagement that those users have with our product based upon this metric. They're going to upload a video and share it with their friends two times a week. So your job is to iterate on the product until that's the experience that you're seeing. And hey, I'm going to spin up this other team and this is the marketing team and believe these teams should be more cross-functional than that. But this is just sort of this easier example. Okay, marketing people, what you need to do is go and find who are this group of people that actually want to share videos with their friends on YouTube. And you need to go and acquire not a huge number, but tranches of those users because we need to get them to interact with the product so that we can improve the product. So that might be the way you would start out. You're spinning up two agile teams. One is X number of users per week. The other one is this level of engagement per week. Sure. Yeah. And and for the listener, you know, you think of Stephen Covey's book, Start With the End in Mind. And that's, that's Mm -hmm. where you started. Start with the end in mind. Like so many of these philosophies carry over into different industries and different frameworks. And so, okay, so that's agile. What about lean? What is that? So Lean comes from some writers described the Toyota production system or how Toyota was building cars in Japan in the 50s. And the idea there was to reduce the amount of waste in the creation of value for a customer. So if you're building cars, you have all of these raw materials and suppliers coming in and you've got this manufacturing floor and it's a very complicated piece of machinery, the car. Um, that we're producing. And then once it rolls off, we have to you know, ship it and distribute it. And the salespeople got to sell it and the dealerships and all that. So you can look at this, this massive value chain. And the idea of lean is, well, let's look at that value chain and figure out ways that we can eliminate waste. And waste could be excess resources that weren't being utilized. Can we you know, make those utilized better? You know, Is there something wrong in the assembly line process? What if we grouped our workers differently, that, that, that it was more efficient. Anyway, you can imagine that there's a, a huge variety of the type of things that you can do to make that process more efficient. Then out of that emerged from Eric Ries, the idea of lean startup, which is the same thing, except that you don't know the value that you're creating. So it's reducing waste in the discovery of new value that you can bring to the world. So instead of just having an idea and executing on, on it, We can run experiments, do some empathy work and try to figure out if we're building the right product or should we build it at all, right? We know it can be built. Technical risk is really not that big of a deal these days for most entrepreneurs. It's really a market risk. It's not, can we build the product? It's should we build the product? And it's very difficult for entrepreneurs. They're in love with their idea and to actually run experiments and try to figure out, try to validate whether that idea is any good is really takes a lot of self-awareness and it's hard. And I know this from firsthand experience. I'm not talking about other people. I'm talking about me, even though I know all of this stuff. 
Quick interruption. Hey, if you like what you're hearing, be sure to get the notes, quotes, and links in the action plan from this episode. Just go to jimharshawjr.com slash action. That's jimharshawjr.com slash action to get your free copy of the action plan. Now back to the show. And I, I could speak to it from firsthand experience as well. So I started a company. I got some angel capital. We built the software. And this is before I became aware of the agile agile way of development and, and lean startup and just lean, lean uh, product creation, et cetera. So I created a software and I knew what the solution was, right? And well, I knew what the outcome that people wanted was. And I was actually one of the sort of target market client customers. And I built this thing out. And it didn't get the traction I thought. So I kept building and I kept building. I kept building without getting feedback. I just kept going, oh, I know what they want. Well, they want more. They want more. They want more. And I was doing it totally the wrong way. And for the listener, I want you to think about, I want you to think about this in your life and, and anything that you're trying to accomplish, you're, you're trying to motivate a group of people, or you're trying to create something or increase customer satisfaction, whatever it is in your personal life, professional life. Like I went all in on building this software and I was adding bells and whistles and different things and different features to the, it was a sports marketing software. Some of my listeners are familiar with it. Some of my listeners were clients, uh, Riot Sports <laughs> Marketing. And in the end, it failed because I wasn't listening I and mean, I was but here's the thing. I was listening and, and I knew what the solution was. I knew what the outcome was, but the part that I didn't listen to, and this is critical, this is really critical. Again, for the listeners who are thinking about applying this framework to anything that they're doing in their lives, you can't just create the solution. You have to create the solution in a way that they want it to be solved. And if the solution is like trying to turn a screw, well, you can turn a screw by using like a, a vice grips and clamp it around there and you can turn a screw and you go, man, I, I sold this, this thing. It's called a grab and squeeze and turn screwdriver, but they're not buying it. Well, a screwdriver would actually work better with a little flat end on it or Phillips head and you turn it. Right? And so I was, I created the wrong product. Did you make that up just now in your head? I did. That was did. brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's one thing. If I get a skill at any one thing, I think it's making analogies to help people like understand, like connect the dots of what I'm talking about there. Where do I get one of those screw yeah. squeeze, squeezing turns? I just got to go on Amazon and white label it and turn it, you know, and take the vice grip and make it called a, uh, a turn screw vice clamp, whatever I just called it, and uh, see if I could actually sell it. I could probably prove that uh, it would be a bad idea because, because this is the level of thinking that has to go in to advancing, to moving something forward, whether it's an idea or a business or a product. Okay, so we covered agile and lean. Yeah, let me let me just throw one other comment onto that because I it just really dovetails on what you're saying. And I think that people need to think about things from the customer perspective, which is kind of cliche, but think about it this way. Whenever you're trying to sell a product or service or really make any change, this could be in your family or it could be, you know, that sports team you're coaching again. When you want to do something differently, you're asking your stakeholder. And again, that could be anyway, it could be your customer, it could be the parent of you know, one of your soccer players, you are trying to get people to change their behavior. So you could be offering massive ROI. You could be offering something that is like so obviously true that saves lots of money that think about yourself. That's not necessarily what drives you to change your behavior. Changing behavior is so layered with different things, relationships and emotions and a sense of uh, safety and fear and aspirations and so this is actually leading us into empathy, 
right? So design thinking is sort of the last of the third and design thinking is really around developing this deep understanding of customers or stakeholders. And, and so this is where we design, use uh, design thinking to develop empathy. And so understanding the needs and the desires and the environment that these people are in and their aspirations, what would be the impact on their lives by addressing a particular need? And only by going deep, in my estimation, can you figure out how to change people's behavior, which is what you're trying to do. You have to think about it. I'm actually, they're doing something now maybe with a competitor's product, maybe with a workaround, and you're trying to get them to use your product. That's changing behavior. So the experiment portion of that is, can I run some sort of analogous experiments, do something that gets them to behave in a way, not say, but behave in a way that indicates that they want this change, that they are willing to change, that they want this behavior, uh, that they're willing to do this behavior. And on the empathy, the design thinking part of it is, the more I understand about this individual, the better I am able to either convince them to change or to build the right product so that they will change. Um, and it's a lot of work. And obviously, if you're trying to scale from doing that for 10 people to thousands, you don't always do it in person. But marketing and a lot of selling and a lot of product development is really automating what you've learned in person, in my belief. Yeah. And now you see a lot of disruption going on in, in, in various markets, various industries these days. I would imagine it takes this level of thinking, these types of you know agile and lean and design thinking to create disruption. I mean, why, are we so, why do we see so much disruption in a variety of markets these days? Yeah, I think it's, to me, it's this change from the industrial age to the digital age. And so, you know, it's easy to think like, oh, well, you know, the internet's, internet's been around for, you know, 30 years or whatever. So we're, we've already done that change or the iPhone's already been out for 13 years. So we're done with that change. But actually, we're still, you know, very much in the beginning of this transfer, this fundamental structural change from the industrial age to the digital age. And if you, you can just imagine how much of software is already in our lives. Um, if you just think about, well, there's all sorts of people where it's not in their lives that much yet, but also just companies, government, education, healthcare, the amount of change that's still coming to these industries based upon digitization is tremendous. And what it does is creates an amazing amount of opportunity. But I also think that it's hard and it disrupts people's lives. And, you know, I think we need to, as a society, need to do a better job at helping people through those disruptions. But we're just at the beginning and it's massive. And I really fundamentally think that the very structure of companies, education, government is going to look fundamentally different in a couple of decades here, just like going from agricultural to the industrial age changed structural components of the world. One of the things I always do is I, I, when I bring guests on, I always try to relate it to, you know, from, from the specific expertise that you have to their lives, right? whether they're an entrepreneur, they're a leader, a manager. I mean, shoot, if you're a parent, disruption is happening. I'm a parent. I've got four kids for ages from seven through 15. I mean, my goodness, the disruption that is happening. My kids, as we sit here recording this, my internet connection is probably struggling right now because I've got four kids on Zoom calls at this moment in my house with school. Cause that, I mean, talk about, you know, disruption and talk about change happening. And the fact that this is even possible is just 
mind blowing, you know, compared to like 10 years ago, thinking if this would have happened, but there's disruption happening and our lives are changing and how we go about things is changing. And we have to have to be aware of that and, and how to shoot, use some of this thinking that you're talking about, Brant, to adapt to that. Yeah, I, I think it's really hard. I think that we're, so what we're really saying here is that we have to be, you know, self-aware. We have to admit when mm -hmm. we don't know and it's okay. And it may be that, you know, as a leader, you still often have to make decisions without fully knowing, but just even the admission of, okay, I don't know. How can I gather more information so I can know better? And I still, I'm a leader and I have to make the call, right? So it's not paralysis by analysis, right? It is this admission that maybe what I know knew yesterday is not the same thing that will work today. So I talk to a lot of leaders in businesses, you know, back in March, pandemic hits. And really, I thought that the sort of the mentality, the ethos was back then, it's like, okay, well, we just need to buckle down. So no more money into innovation, you know, sort of no more exploration. It's really just about, we got to get to what we know because it's the only way we're going hit, to hit our numbers. And I would point out, I'd say, well, what is it that you know? What are you buckling down on? And, you know, like, oh, well, we've got to just try harder. We got to execute harder. And I said, you sell to small businesses. Small businesses are going out of business, you know, every day. You sell to consumers. Consumers don't have any budget. Everybody's scared. They're not spending any money. So what are you buckling down on? Right. I mean, so what they want to go and execute on, it's not there anymore. If they were able to admit that, then they can go, OK, we got to go into learning mode again. We got to go out and do Zoom calls in order to get empathy for our customers. We need to run some experiments to figure out if we make changes to the product or changing to our market or how we're selling that we can actually provide value to these people during this time such that they continue to purchase from us. And so you could start using these menta this mentality we've been talking about, right? The agile that we can take in new information and change where we're going, experiments to try to figure out what's the right change to happen, empathy works so that we can understand where our customers are and it makes our experiments and our changes more intelligent. So we apply these principles wherever we face uncertainty. And boy, you know, four kids at home. Um, I don't know if your partner works as well, but I mean, it, it's not that everybody gets to you can't function the way you were before, right? It's changed. So you have to look at, be able to look at your own life and go, okay, listen, this is the circumstance we're in. We got to take in new information. How are we going to change what we're doing in order to make our, you know, the family life as contented as possible, but also to take care of the things that need to get taken care of. And maybe we need to learn new ways to go out of fun or have different family experiences or, or whatever, mm -hmm. but you, it's sort of built into us a bit, I think. I'm guessing you you sort of naturally do those things. But I also think that a more concerted, more conscious effort, especially if people feel like they're struggling at all, a conscious, more concerted effort to look at what we don't know and make changes in the parts of our life that we have some control over. That's it. I couldn't agree more. I mean, a conscious, concerted, intentional effort, as opposed to drifting and going, this sucks, and, and assuming there's nothing you can do about it. Well, you can. You can adapt this mindset. And Brant, I give you this question. For the listener who's in, and they're like, they want to take an action in the next 24 to 48 hours because they, they're in, they, they, they like this level of thinking, they like this type of thinking, like, how can they apply this to their lives now? Like, what's one thing that they can do in the next 24 to 48 hours to start applying this level of thinking to their lives? Well, I think the simplest thing might be to, boy, maybe do a little bit of reflection and try to think about like what is driving their sense of 
anxiety or what are, what are the things that they don't know about and put them into separate buckets. Here are things that I have some amount of control over and here are things that I don't, right? So we don't really know when society, the economy is going to open back up again. We don't really know when this pandemic part thing is going to be over. So that's uncertainty, but it's not something that we actually have a lot of control over. We can wear our masks and have some control over it, but we're not, we don't know when it's going to end, right? So it's good to put that on a list because you can look at it and go like, okay, well, I, I don't really have control over that. But what are the parts of it that where there's uncertainty that we have some amount of control over? And then from that list, choose just a couple, one, two, or three. So you want to keep your, what's called a work in progress, your whip. You want to keep that small and discreet because it feels like you're in control then rather than like looking at a laundry list of all of these things that you need to tackle, just choose two or three. Basically it's what's in the work in progress are things that you need to do to advance whatever project you're working on. And so it's, you know, I'm going to go do, you know, four interviews and that's one task in your work in progress, or I'm going to run this particular experiment taking on, you know, this particular dilemma. And so I think that those, that's probably enough steps to get started. I do have on startupbluebook.com, I've got a video and a tool for this. It's basically a personal Kanban. And uh, you can go to personalkanban.com, which is not me. That's not my stuff. I learned from this. And there's all sorts of people that are talking about how to use this. But basically, it's a way to visualize what you need to get done, what you're working on. And so I've got a free tool and a, and a free video that goes into more detail on how to do that. But I, I use it in my life. So if I can throw one other thing in there, I've got all of my, here's what I need to do for my company. Here's what I need to do for my, my next book. And then I've got what we call swim lanes. Here are all the things that I could be doing to spend time with my family. Here's all of the things that I could be doing that has to do with my personal wellness, like exercise or playing, a, uh, learning a new song on guitar. And so you, you start balancing your life based upon all of the things that you need to do. Work, you know, some, a creative effort, family, wellness. And you basically, not everybody gets to do this. I'm very fortunate in the life that I get to live. But the idea is, is to get to the point, especially when we're working at home, is I can choose any item in any moment in time. I can choose from work, wellness, family, these other things and put them in my work in progress. And I'll spend the 15 or 20 minutes or whatever on that. And then I can go back to my Kanban board and choose something else. And in this way, you're not creating balance by arbitrarily defining your day up into, oh, this is work. Oh, this is family. But rather you're doing things in the moment based upon what's going on inside you or based upon the needs of other people in your life, both colleagues, bosses, employees, family, I actually think I'm hoping that maybe this whole pandemic and everybody working at home is a step towards more people being able to live and manage their life in that way. Yeah. Yeah. So we look at your life, Brant, and we see success. You've worked with incredible companies. You've written a New York Times bestselling book. Tell me about a time when you failed. A time when you failed and maybe you felt that that hopelessness or that self-doubt that comes from failure and how you were able to move through that. To be honest, there's so many stories. I mean, I, I, uh, maybe that's sort of what taught me to get into learning mode is a, lot, is a lot of failures. You know, back in the day, I was working up in, in the Bay Area at a startup, the first startup I was at, and it was a very successful startup. So I lived through IPO 
And then I decided to go off on my own. And so I left there and partnered up with this guy and we started a new business. And I don't know, again, even just within this one example, there's multiple failures. The end result was within six months, that company was out of business. So I had left a stable job. I just, I had a one-year-old and a three-year-old, I think, a big house, a mortgage. I mean, just nutty, right? My, my wife at the time was like, just our relationship wasn't based upon me being an entrepreneur. Our relationship was more based upon me having a steady job. And now suddenly I'm out on my own. My own. So the stress in the relationship, I mean, it was extraordinary to begin with. And then boom, gone overnight, internet crashes, funding pulled. And there I am, no job. I mean, just wow, uh, man. Yeah, you could feel the emotion in you. Tell you, you could still feel the pain. Oh man, God, the options from my previous company, you know, and the government actually in those days would tax you on um, the value of your stock, even if you hadn't sold it. So I actually went into debt to the U.S. government to the IRS. All this is all at the same time, man. Wow. And just, you know, at some point in my life, earlier in my life, after I had, I worked for a year after college and dropped out and went and wrote a novel. And there's something about that process that was very entrepreneurial, even though I didn't know that's what it was. But it, what it really comes down to is sort of this faith in myself that I was going to be able to pull myself up. And so that's what happened. You know, I, I went and got another job and that launched sort of this other career with another startup that was very successful <laughs> until I hit the next failure. But anyway, you know, in that moment, even during the fact that it was, you know, the economic collapse of the century, you know, we make do and we learn. We learn so much from those. Yeah. It's, it's what makes you who you are today. And, no and I imagine... Some of those lessons probably went into the writing of your book and, and the consulting and work that you do now with companies. So I appreciate you sharing that, Brant. Yeah, you're welcome. I mean, I just, I think that in the end, living through it gives you the confidence to do it again. I mean, I think I'm actually able to take more risk now than I was before. To me, I didn't think I was taking a risk, but I think I may be able to do it now because I've learned how to deal with the uncertainty. Yeah. Brant, can you take a minute to promote yourself? Where can we find your book, follow you on social media, websites, download the, the uh, I think we can download part of your book, as well, another book as well, right? Right. Yeah. So I'm Brant Cooper on all social media. So I really do, I encourage people to reach out. Brant at brantcooper.com is my email. Um, I've just launched a, a YouTube channel called Brant's Rant. Um, where I, I rant about topics. You can probably tell that I'm a ranter. I rant about topics <laughs> from my hammock. I've got startupbluebook.com, which has got some description. The digital book there has got description of some of the things that we talked about today and some tools and videos to help people along. Uh, my New York Times bestseller is The Lean Entrepreneur. That's available at all your favorite bookstores. But more exciting to that to me is my next book. I want to write the book that redefines capitalism for the 21st century. Um, this transition from the the industrial age to the digital age means that we need to restructure things. And so I would love people to join me on that journey. And you can go to bcoop.co forward slash D4A, disruption for all, D4A. And yeah, and join me on that. I think it's uh, it's an exciting time, you know, full of opportunity. 
Absolutely. And for the listener, again, I'll have all those links. Just go to jimharshojr.com slash action, and you can find all the links to everything Brant just mentioned, his website, where you can download the book, where you can find uh, his original book, Lean Entrepreneur, and et cetera. We'll have all of that in there. So Brant, thank you so much for making time to come on the show. Super valuable. This is real stuff that people can apply to their professional lives, their businesses, as well as their personal lives. Yeah, great conversation, Jim. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. If you want to apply these principles into your life, let's talk. You can see the limited spaces that are open on my calendar at jimharshawjr.com slash apply, where you can sign up for a free one-time coaching call directly with me. And don't forget to grab your action plan. Just go to jimharshawjr.com slash action. And lastly, iTunes tends to suggest podcasts with more ratings and reviews more often. You would totally make my day if you give me a rating and review. Those go a long way in helping me grow the podcast audience. Just open up your podcast app. If you have an iPhone, do a search for success through failure, select it, and then scroll the whole way to the bottom where you can leave the podcast a rating and a review. Now, I hope this isn't just another podcast episode for you. I hope you take action on what you learned here today. Good luck and thanks for listening.